Well, good morning, Grace. We are gathered to worship God and open His Word and see what He might be speaking into our lives for this week. And so you are going to want a Bible this morning. If you have a Bible, go on and open up. Actually, First Kings 9, or sorry, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is where we'll start. If you need a Bible, we got people walking around, just slip up a hand, they'll put a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, feel free to just take that with you as a gift from us to you. How many of you would say that your life feels consumed by noise, busyness, and chaos? Anyone? We live in a world where you are constantly being bombarded with notifications, dings and pings, messages, advertisements, all competing for our time and attention. We live in a world of noise. Uh, there's C.S. Lewis wrote this brilliant book uh, a number of years ago called The Screwtape Letters. It's a satire that uh, chronicles a, uh, a, the, a senior demon who is training his younger nephew demon how to, uh, how to keep his subject from encountering God and, uh, and really seeking to destroy his soul. And at one point, Screwtape, the mentor, the uncle, the senior demon, says uh, that we will turn this world into a universe of noise. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote that in the 1960s or 50s even. How much more true is that today? And noise, busyness, is one of the greatest enemies to our soul. And so we've entered in these last few weeks, uh, or sorry, sorry, last week, into this journey. If you're new to Grace, we welcome you, and we're excited that you're a part of this annual uh, rhythm that we stop everything in the church for five weeks to all focus in from our children to our senior adults on one topic we feel like God is leading us into as a church family. And this year, as we were really praying and, and seeking, all right, God, what are you, how are you leading us? How are you forming us to be your people? This idea of, of realigning our lives in, in tune with God's life-giving rhythms, these rhythms of grace, these rhythms that he wove into the fabric of creation. And so I hope many of you are able to uh, become a part of one of the journey groups. And it's not too late to jump into some of those as uh, we are moving from the teaching on Sundays over the next five weeks into that conversation and discussion around the table. All right, how does this apply? How are you uh, receiving this? What are you wrestling with? And I know uh, for Sadie and I in our journey group, that, that conversation was just, I mean, it was amazing how vulnerable and deep it got so fast. And, uh, and I hope that, that you had that same experience in your groups. Uh, but, even, but even more so, beyond just the, the teaching and the conversation, is that each week we're being encouraged to engage in one of these uh, to practices or rhythms in our life, to realign our, our daily life, our weekly rhythms in tune with the heart of God, in order that our hearts could be tuned to His. And so I want us to read this passage together. I can't actually see the screen uh, from where I am. So, um, but if you'll read this with me, this is a, a verse we talked about last week, and it's out of the message, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, but it's sort of our mantra for the, that we actually honestly hope becomes a lifetime journey of rhythms with God. But let's read this together. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Man, is anyone else that just like resonates as you read that? Yes, yes, I want this. And so let's 
let's enter in and see what God might have for us today. We've said already that the problem we face is that we are surrounded by a world of constant distraction and noise, that we are often our own worst enemies, that we have willingly chosen, and in fact, we pay people to tether our lives to these constant noise distraction machines. We live in a media-rich, always-on, over-communicated society that noise crowds out every available and empty space in our lives, leaving us spiritually, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. But the good news, that there's a better way, this way of Jesus's invitation into these rhythms of grace, a, a way that, for which that you were created to thrive and to flourish. Now, to be honest, and I think sometimes uh, in our American church history, we've, we've missed the boat on this. We've invited people into a way, but with this sort of Americanized ideal, which is that the best kind of life is a life free from pain. The highest goal is to live a life of comfort. And in fact, if you're uncomfortable or if you're experiencing any kind of hurt and pain, there's something wrong with your life. And so buy this product, it'll fix it. Take this pill, download this app, become this thing, and you can live pain-free, worry-free life. But it's a lie, it's a lie. We live in the reality of a broken and fallen world. We live surrounded by the pain of this universe and we can deny and we can numb and we can run as hard as we want, but we can't escape it. And so Jesus' invitation into a different way, into these rhythms of grace, isn't an invitation into a pain-free life. It's not a promise of, of taking away the hurts and the grief. It's not even a promise that you won't feel lonely. It's the promise of his presence and his peace, of true rest and freedom, even in the midst of our pain and chaos and crises and struggles. That's the invitation to real life. And in fact, it's interesting that to be fully alive means to actually be able to feel. And Jesus invites us into that with him. Now, Jesus doesn't just extend the invitation. He doesn't just teach about, come away and, and find rest or, or I have uh, healing for your souls. He actually models it. And as followers of Jesus, learning to live our lives as apprentices of our king, we're learning really just to bring our life into alignment with the life that he modeled. And so we look at Jesus's example. Now, often we think about Jesus getting away, getting alone uh, with, with God, with his heavenly Father. There's kind of two, two major stories that come to mind. Uh, the first one that oftentimes we think about Jesus getting alone with God is, is right there in Luke chapter 4. Um, for one, in chapter 4, verse 1, he starts, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. If you're not familiar with the passage, Jesus, who is uh, God, who became a human, it took on flesh to live among us, to show us what he was like, uh, to live our life. And, uh, and so Jesus uh, grows up for 30 years, and then he begins his ministry. And the first place that, that he goes to launch his ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God uh, is uh, to go get baptized um, in the Jordan River. And, uh, and so as he's being baptized, it says that this voice comes from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. This voice speaking identity. And as this voice speaks, it says that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes and rests on Jesus. Empowered by God, by the fullness of the Spirit, walking in his identity, launching out on his calling and his destiny. And the first place that the Spirit leads him is into the wilderness into this place of solitude with God. And it says that there he was tempted by God. I mean, sorry, not tempted by God. 
for 40 days being tempted by the devil. It's important. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I love this touch. Jesus, who is God in the fullness, the invisible representation of an invisible God in Colossians. In him, the fullness of God dwelled. In Philippians, he set aside his deity to, to lower himself to become human, that he feels hungry. And in that place, he's tested and tried. And for 40 days, alone with God in the wilderness, he faces the, the temptations and the battle of Satan that prepares him, launches him out to begin this incredible life of ministry, of announcing the kingdom of God. The other place that we see, uh, we often think about when we think about Jesus getting alone with God or, uh, or, or withdrawing to be with the Father is uh, this story at the end of his ministry. If, if this story is at the beginning, at the very end, towards the end of his ministry, Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go and they climb up this mountain uh, to be alone with God up on the mountain. And when they're up there, it says that that same voice uh, speaks from heaven. And this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That it says that Jesus is transfigured before them. And in other words, that they see a glimpse of his true glory. This cloud descends just like in the Old Testament. And with Jesus appears Moses who embodies the law and Elijah who embodies all of the prophets there with Jesus who fulfills both the law and the prophets. And in that place, uh, Peter is like, is so overwhelmed by this moment with God on the mountain that he's like, okay, J Jesus, can we just set up tents and stay here forever? Have any of you had a mountaintop experience like that with God? Maybe not quite like that, but a mountaintop experience with God where it was just like, God, can I just stay here with you? That first time at camp when you, when it, hit you in your soul that Jesus loved you, died for you, the first time you received forgiveness, God spoke into your life in a powerful way, that mountaintop moment, God, can we just stay here? And Jesus immediately takes them from the mountain back into the valley of everyday life. But it's interesting because we can think about solitude or this time alone being with God as these two sort of mountaintop moments, uh, these, these giant encounters that sort of punctuate the, the beginning and the end. And in the same way, we may be able to point to different times in our own lives at church camp or at a retreat or whatever it might be. It's like, oh man, yes, that was a time I really got alone, like really encountered God. That actually isn't a complete picture of Jesus's life with God. In fact, it's interesting, if you go back to Luke chapter four, like we said, he spends the 40 days fasting, praying in the wilderness with God. Uh, we'll get into more of that in a couple of weeks, that extended time of solitude. But then he begins his ministry, teaching, preaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, casting out the uh, demonic, setting free the oppressed, giving sight to the blind, healing the lame. And then we get to verse 40 at the end of chapter four. Now, when the sun was setting, the end of his day, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. If we think we have a busy life, look at Jesus. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them, not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. It wasn't time yet for his true identity to be revealed. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. That word there, desolate place, is actually the exact, in verse 42, is actually the exact same word, eremos, as it is in, in verse 1, that he went into the wilderness. That word eremos can get translated as wilderness, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place. That even as his popularity was growing, his ministry was expanding, the demands on his time and attention were increasing, what do we see Jesus do? Get alone 
with God in the quiet, solitary, lonely places. So much so that you come to chapter five, again, every day his ministry is happening. He's teaching, preaching, healing, uh, releasing. But verse 14, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gather to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And if Jesus was smart, what he would do, like many of us experiencing success, would double down. Let's have a campaign. Let's get some billboards. Let's pay for some social media ads. Let's let everyone know this is good. It can be better. This is big. It can be bigger. But is that what Jesus does? No. But he would withdraw to desolate, same word, places and pray. That word there, and the, the, the Greek, the verb tense, some of your translations actually say that he would withdraw often. It carries this idea of reoccurring regular repetition. That the rhythm of his life, even in the midst of the times he was the most popular, the busiest, in the times of the greatest distress and distraction, would be to get quiet, alone, and away with God. For those of you that we've uh, had the, the privilege of taking to the Holy Land over to Israel and Palestine, and I hope to get to take all of you at some point, we covered. Um, it's uh, this amazing place that uh, is recorded historically, but has sort of, um, uh, ironically, sort of fallen into disrepair. It's, it's kind of off the beaten path. It's called the Cave of Eremos, and uh, it's understood to be the place that Jesus actually went when it talks about him getting alone to be with God. I have a picture of it there. What's amazing about this is that typically in the Holy Land, a lot of the places that you go, uh, they're, I mean, they're gigantic tourist attractions. You know, they've turned into that, whether it's the Mount of Beatitudes or uh, the Place of the Cross or the Sea of Galilee or whatever it might be. You know, there, there's tour buses coming in and out and hundreds of people gathering. There's all kinds of like signs and shrines and all things built up around these famous place, places, these Bible stories, um, that these Bible stories happened. Except this. To get here, you actually have to walk down this uh, this this weed overgrown path through some farmer's fields past the rubble of an ancient church that's that used to be built on top of it and around the side off of the highway to this little cave and it was this cave just a few minutes walk from where Capernaum the base of Jesus' ministry happened, that he would go to retreat, to be alone with God. And I have to say, of all the places I've been in the Holy Land, and there's some that God has just rocked my world in, sitting in this cave, knowing that I was sitting in the place that Jesus went to be alone with his Father. And as you sit there, and it's quiet as the sun is rising, and what's amazing is you can hear the voices of the fishermen in the boats as they are, as they are getting their day's uh, work going. And I just imagine Jesus. And where this cave sits, if you go to this next, uh, next picture, if you're looking out, you're looking, you're at the north side of the Sea of Galilee, looking straight down the Sea of Galilee, down towards where it empties into the Jordan River. To the left is the Decapolis, the region of the Ten Cities, the, the Gentile pagan land. To the, le to the right is Capernaum and the, the shores there of the Jewish side. And so even as Jesus looks at this uh, down in his cave alone with the Father, he's looking at this body of water that's uniting the Jew and the Gentile, reconciling this disconnected people. Looking down the Jordan River where it empties into the Dead Sea, and so many prophecies of God bringing dead things back to life. And the last time I was there and sitting there quietly, this boat came across and you can actually see it there in that picture. And it was just a couple of guys that were fishing and they were just talking to each other. I don't even know what they're, I mean, they're 
speaking Hebrew, so I didn't understand them, but they were, uh, you know, just, you know, I'm sure like past the water. I don't know what they're saying, but, but I could hear that the noise. And then I, I imagined a couple of teenage boys learning to fish with their father. And Jesus, and hearing them, if they're anything like my boys, fighting with each other the entire time, arguing, laughing, playing, messing with each other, and Jesus listening to these boys argue with their dad and going, those are my boys. And leaving that cave and saying, hey, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus leaving that cave to say, no, I, this was ha God's ha doing here. He wants to take everywhere. Jesus leaving that cave one morning to make that long walk back to Jerusalem where he'll face the cross. So what's the point? Man, if Jesus needed to get alone, regularly, quiet with the Father, how much more do I? But we see that Jesus would withdraw not as a random or occasional practice, but as a regular rhythm of his life. Through that slide up, we see that he, he would withdraw when the demands and the needs around him were the greatest, Luke 4.42. He, he withdrew before important decisions, Luke 6.12 at the death of a close friend, Matthew 14, 13, at the pressure of popularity when they wanted to take him by king, make him king by force, John 6, 15, before significant events, Matthew 17, at the daily demands of life, like we just read, Luke 5, and when facing his own death, Matthew 26, 36. In his most stressful and his most victorious moments, he got alone with his father. In his most exciting and his painful times, Jesus got alone with his father. Henry Nouwen quotes in The Way of the Heart, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into this furnace. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter, the struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. So last week, we, the invitation in our first week of the journey was to, to experiment with this practice of building into our lives these regular rhythms of getting alone with God, to start our day and to end our day, sort of this breathing out, like the sun that rises and the sun that sets, breathing in to start our day, breathing out. And, and I hope if you had your journal that you spent some time using those journal prompts as a, as a daily rhythm. And even if you only got a couple days, praise the Lord, don't beat yourself up. If you forgot about your journal last Sunday and you're starting this week, praise the Lord. He is willing and excited to meet you wherever you are. But it's not just about getting time alone with God. It's about getting quiet before God. Because if I'm honest, for me, it's easy to have a quiet time and never actually get quiet. To spend time in scripture or in prayer telling God what he needs to know and needs to fix. In Scripture, honestly, it's easy for me to think more about what somebody else needs to learn than what God might be speaking to me. It's hard to get still enough to listen, silent enough to feel. I mean, solitude is one thing, but intentional silence is another. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Zechariah 2.13, be silent before the Lord, all people, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling 
Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. And I just wonder for how, how many of us is that statement true? This is for you. God's saying, I am for you. I am right here. But you would have none of it. So why don't we practice silence? I mean, it's not hard to recognize, like, this practice of Jesus, this invitation of the Bible, even to recognize, man, we crave it, we need it. Well, I think a lot of times, number one, that we're unaware of the noise. It's just sort of become the background of our lives. Even just now, if I'm honest, twice in the last five minutes, my pocket has buzzed with my phone, just to clarify. <laughs> now, you know what that does, right? Like, I mean, this is not on my, <laughs> my notes. But in, so as I'm teaching, and, I, and as I'm teaching, I'm trying to do two things. I'm thinking about where I felt like God was leading us as I was preparing this week, but I'm also trying to listen to the Spirit. Okay, God, what do you, is there things that you're wanting to do in this room? The moment my pocket buzzed, what did I do? Part of my brain went from being present with you to what's going on right here. Twice in five minutes. Not even five minutes, the last two minutes. How many of you, for you, your pocket's buzzing? This constant barrage of notifications that we've tethered our life to a device. But it's not even just our devices. It's anything that competes for our time and attention. It's media and marketing and the new endless news cycles and celebrity gossip and, and the excitement of sports and the times and demands of our jobs and work and to-do lists and uh, the relationships that we have. And, and it's not that those things are bad. We just have to recognize that they are constantly clamoring and competing for our hearts and our minds. You know, those, uh, Sadie and I had a little overnight this past week and in our hotel room uh, was one of those sound machines that plays like different color noises or whatever. Uh, we don't have one at home, but we thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, it's just this quiet, soothing sound while you sleep that you, when you start it, you, you notice it at first, but then eventually it just kind of goes away. It's just sort of background noise. And I wonder how the sound machine of our life, like a 747 at takeoff blasting into our ear. We've just gotten so used to it, we don't even notice it anymore. Second, I think that we don't practice silence because we're honestly just addicted to the stimulation. That dopamine hit that comes with a like or a follow or a new post, that endless black hole of entertainment and information. Now, you might be saying, okay, I recognize that, you know, I'm, my devices are competing for my attention, but I'm not addicted. I could quit whenever I want. I just don't want to. So here's a diagnostic if you wanted to see, you know, kind of the state of your soul. I dare you to put your phone away for a day. Yeah, even some of you just had a panic attack right now. You know, you may not realize, your phone is actually not physically attached to your body. It's not an extra arm that you got. You can set it aside. And actually, I discovered this this week when I was preparing for this sermon. And I think a lot of people don't realize uh, that on your phone or actually any of your devices that there's a power button. Yeah, it's true. You can actually turn these off. And if that feels impossible, there might be a problem. Or just try this. Just stand in line at the grocery store without touching a device. 
Now, everyone around you is going to think that you're a weirdo and probably a serial killer. Why are they not looking at their phone? They're looking at me. What are they doing? <laughs> or the next time you're at a doctor's office or waiting for an appointment, just sit in the waiting room. You know, it's interesting to remember, back when I was a kid, there was this thing called boredom. When you actually just had to do nothing and sit in it or come up with something creative, like making a fort out of sticks and mud. Or just go to the bathroom without your phone. Like, what am I going to do? I don't know, with all this time. <laughs> or buy a, or sorry, a, um, turn off your phone or your devices before you go to sleep, and then don't turn them on again until you've spent time quiet alone with God. Now, you might have to buy yourself an old-fashioned alarm clock, but they still sell those on Amazon. And yes, it's true that we are unaware, I think, of the amount of noise constantly bombarding us. I think that it is true that most of us are addicted uh, to the constant stimulation. But I think that the, the third reason is actually more true for why we don't practice silence, and that is, if we're honest, we're scared of the quiet. We don't know what to do with ourselves. And we don't necessarily want to encounter ourselves, to feel what's going on in here. But the power of silence is that silence isn't simply the absence of noise. Silence is the invitation into the presence of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we are so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves, in order to not have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Bonhoeffer wrote that in the 40s. 80 years later, how much more? Richard Foster wrote, one reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control, but we will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. And I know this is countercultural, but be honest. Is the other way working? Are you more at peace with the constant noise and the constant going and the constant distractions? More at rest? More present to God and to the people that matter? More fulfilled? More satisfied? More content? If you flip back briefly at this, another cave story. We talked about Jesus in the cave. We invited you last week to find that cave time with God. But First Kings 19, Elijah the prophet, who I mentioned earlier, who many would argue is like the, the, the embodiment of all prophets, has just had his most victorious moment in his life. Uh, Elijah was uh, a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, that kingdom was being run by a very evil king. And even more so, the voice in the king's ear was, uh, was a really wicked woman named Jezebel. And, uh, and the king had um, turned all of the worship of God into the worship of the false gods of his wife and on all the high places had put these, uh, these shrines um, to, to Baal and, uh, and this whole you know, prostitution cult around 
uh, this culture of worshiping Baal. And, uh, and so it turned the heart of the people away from God. And so Elijah was a prophet uh, that God rose up to go tell the king and the people is that uh, you're about to experience the, the consequences of your decision. You're walking away from God. You are setting yourself up for complete uh, um, annihilation and um, an exile. And, but the king didn't like that. And so uh, the king sort of had a death warrant out on Elijah. But Elijah, God gave him the courage to stand up, and he called uh, out for all the prophets, I mean, all the, the prophets of Baal, to meet him on this mountain called Mount Carmel. And at Mount Carmel, it says that, that Elijah called forth all the prophets, putting his life at risk because they could at any moment just beheaded him and been done with it. But uh, Elijah said, listen, if your, pro if your God is true, if Baal is really for you, then let's do this. Simply call fire down from heaven and let him prove his power. And so the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them, they're circled around this, this uh, pile of wood there up on the mountain and they're chanting and crying out, even start cutting themselves with rocks and bleeding, pleading for their God to show up. And there's nothing. And finally, when they've worn themselves out, Elijah steps forward. And actually he takes this giant bucket of water and he dumps it on the wood. Then he goes back and he gets another bucket of water and he dumps it on the wood. So water's just flowing all over the place. And then he says, God, Yahweh, if it is true, if you're true, set this wood on fire and it bursts into this massive blaze. And in that moment of God showing up in power, uh, the, the prophets of Baal are defeated and destroyed. The people begin to turn their hearts back to God. And, and so you have this mountaintop moment, this spiritual victory, the height, you would say, of Elijah's career. But in a moment, uh, it, it turns, and, uh, and the king says, basically puts a death threat out against uh, Elijah. And so Elijah goes fleeing for his life. And as he goes running into the wilderness, it says that he gets so depressed, so discouraged, he feels so alone that his prayer is this, God, just take my life. I mean, it's amazing that he goes from the, the mountaintop of spiritual victory down into the depths of depression like that. But I wonder how many of us can identify with that in a day, in a week, that we move from these moments of excitement and, and, and joy into discouragement and pain. And in that place, God called Elijah forward. Elijah ends up on a different mountain, Mount Horeb, it's also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And, in that, and on that mountain, he finds himself in a cave. In verse nine, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. And God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a consuming fire but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or literally a thin silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? A 
It's interesting that the question that God asks him is the same question at the beginning and the end of this interaction. But first, Elijah has to sit long enough to let, to let the chaos of the wind pass, to let the fear and the confusion of the earthquake rumble underneath him, to let the fire, the fury come over him. And as it passed over him and he sat there long enough, in the stillness, God spoke and asked him again that penetrating question, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, I think a lot of times we avoid silence because we don't want to face our own earthquakes and storms and that raging fire that we so easily feel. And we're not willing to sit in it long enough to let God speak into our life in a way that we can hear. The first time God asks the question, Elijah gives him all of the excuses. But the next time, he's able to receive what God wants him to know. You're not alone. And I'm not done with you yet. Get up and let's go. But are we willing to sit in that silence? So as we're thinking about this rhythm of, in, of bringing intentionally silence into our life as a way of life, not just a every now and then uh, encounter I uh, was uh, talking to a friend of mine. I'm gonna bring up, uh, welcome my friend, Alan Terry. Let's welcome Alan Terry. Okay, there we go. I've known Alan for a number of years now and, um, and he has been, uh, he and Robin have been a, like a, just really a blessing in my life. And uh, I've been someone that I've often gone to uh, for wisdom and encouragement. But um, so Alan has been involved in churches for decades now, uh, served in ministry, uh, served in all kinds of different leadership capacities. He was the, the, the elder, uh, the chair of our elder board for a number of years here at Grace Monroe. But one of the things that I love about Alan, and I said this in the first service, but just so you know, is that um, even after so many years of walking with God and serving God so faithfully, is that there's still a hunger and a heart to know God more. And so... Um, so I love getting to just witness this journey that you've been on the last several months. And would, would you just kind of share sort of what God's been doing, teaching you? Yeah, sure. It um, kind of started about this time last year. Uh, I was entering a season in my life where uh, I'm kind of moving into a different phase of my life, looking at retirement, things like that. <clears throat> and I had gotten to a point in my walk where kind of gotten stale. I mean, you know, had my daily Bible reading. I'm going to all Bible study and coming to hear Brian and you know, all the all the stuff that we do, right? I'm like, okay, is this it? You maybe you ask yourself that someone is this it? And I just knew that there was more, and um, so I wanted more. I wanted more out of my walk. I wanted to know uh, Jesus more. And last year at Summit, uh, one of the speakers was a gentleman by the name of Chip Dodd. I got a chance to meet him, got a chance to spend some time with him and talk to him, and we got to know each other. And I told him the same thing. I said, I just, I don't want to stop growing. I just want to, there's got to be more than, than where I am. And um, he said, he said, well, let me take a stab at kind of how you start your day. He said, let me tell you how I think you start your day. I said, okay, well, this will this will be interesting. He said, um, I said, I'm pretty sure you're probably the person that gets up in the morning, <clears throat> you have your cup of coffee, and you have your specific place that you go and sit, and you probably take your iPad, and you check the news, make sure the world hadn't blown up, and you check the markets, and you check your email, and you probably make a list of things that you're going to do for the day, and then you go about your day, whether it's a commute or whatever it is, and then probably while you're commuting or... Um, sometime during the day, you probably have some quiet time. You listen, listen to some worship music. Maybe you listen to a sermon from time to time. You have your rhythm throughout the day. And I said, well, you 
pretty much nailed that. And um, I'm kind of thinking, how'd you know that? And he said, the problem with what you're doing is when you wake up in the morning, you're immediately engaging your mind the way the world wants you to engage your mind. And that is your schedule, your time, what you're going to do. And here's what he said to me. He said, what you're, what you're missing is you have to wake your heart up. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, you have to wake my heart up. I mean, you know, my, mind, my, main, my mind's going and I'm ready to go. He said, you have to wake your heart up. You have to give your heart time because connection with God is in your heart. He said, what you're doing is throughout the day, whenever you're trying to have that time with God, you're connecting intellectually with God. He said, you're telling me you're having your quiet time when you're behind the wheel of the car? Really? I mean, do you know, do you know how stupid that sounds? And so I said, okay, so what do you suggest? He said, here's what I want you to do, and I want you to do this for 30 days, and then we'll get back and you tell me how it's going. And he said, I want you to, in the morning, I want you to get your cup of coffee, go to your spot, wherever that spot is. And he said, I want you to sit in total, complete silence for 30 minutes. He said, I want you to hear the clock tick. No music, no Bible, no pen, no paper, nothing. Just you in total silence. And I said to him, I said, well, what's going to happen is about two minutes into that, I'm going to be thinking about what I have to do today and I'm gonna be making my to-do list. And he said, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer three questions. And if you're a note taker, you might wanna write these three questions down. He said, the first question that I want you to answer is the first question that God asked Adam in Genesis three. God asked Adam, he said, where are you? He said, I want you to answer that question and be honest. I want you to say, where am I? I'm sad, I'm anxious, I'm excited. I'm whatever you are, you're, you're, you're mad at somebody. You're, he said, just be honest with God and answer that question. Where are you? And then after you answer that question, the next question I want you to, uh, to answer is, what do you want me to know about that? Just ask God, what do you want me to know about that? <clears throat> and um, then the next question is, and what do you want me to do with that? You'll be surprised how 30 minutes will go. Now, if you can't do 30 minutes, do 15. But I'm telling you, 30 minutes will, will go. I've never been a journaler in my life. I've tried, I've tried. I've, I don't know how to journal. I can't journal. I've never journaled. I'm now journaling. Now, do I journal every day? No. But I'm now, I, I, I'm hearing God like I've never heard God before. You said uh, silence is not the absence of noise. It's the presence of God. Well, I'm not really a silent kind of person, and I don't be still. I'm not very still very often. I mean, I'm, I'm about a lot of noise and a lot of activity, and um, learning to be silent and, and, and hear God, you'll start hearing God in a way that you've never heard before. Yeah, that's so good. So tell us, what, um, what fruit have you seen in your life as a result of that regular practice? I mean, yes, hearing God, but like, how's that affected you probably have to ask Robin that. <laughs> um, the fruit that I've got from that, other than just really learning to hear God, because I, I believe you have to be, you have to learn how to hear God. That's not something you, you, you become a Christian, make a, make a declaration of your faith, and then all of a sudden, oh, now I'm hearing God. I think you have to be taught how to hear God, and so it's, it's, taught me that, but it's also given me a, a certain level of, um, of uh, peace and calm and kind of taken off the edge. I'm, I'm a pretty, I have a pretty aggressive personality by, by nature, and it's kind of like, like if, I, if I miss a couple of days, um, Robin's been known to come to me and say, are you still having your quiet time? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, she can tell. So that's, that's really what I'm feeling now. Yeah, it's good. And it's the last question. If, if you were going to go back in time, so we said, you know, years of walking with God, of activity and service and scripture study, um, what would you go back and tell your younger self? Um, that your faith walk is not about doing, it's about being. 
because I think we get so wrapped up in the do part. And uh, as a young believer, we were doing it. I mean, we were involved in everything. I mean, you name it, we were involved in it. And even when we came here, been involved. And, I, I, and just, it was all about do, 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 do. And, and, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Listen to more. Do, do all of that. But to be with God, you just have to, you have to be. <laughs> and to be, you have to be in silence. And because you just said, you, you, you said something this service, you didn't say last service, and that was uh, when we pray, we tell God all the things that we want him to know that he knows anyway. And then when we read, we read maybe for yourselves, but y'all thought, oh man, someone so needs to hear that. That's a good word. Instead of just being quiet and saying, you know, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to be and, and, and hear God. So try those three things in your quiet time because it's not easy, especially for somebody who's not a very quiet person by nature. If you try those three, and I also didn't think I had time to do it because I don't, I don't have it 30 minutes. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. That's so, good. Thank you. Else? All right. Thank you. That's so good. And so the, the invitation to practice this week is to engage in this regular rhythm of silence with God. Now, as we go through this journey together, what you'll find is that we're not replacing the practice from the previous week. We're building on the practice. Our hope is that you'll continue this rhythm of daily time in Scripture and prayer, beginning and ending your day, breathing in and out, the sun that rises and sets with God. But adding into it, we call it habit stacking, uh, is that we're adding into it this practice of silence, of being still with God that it's in the cave that we receive from God. Dallas Willard has a great quote. Far from being a mere absence, silence allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of your life. It's like the wind of eternity blowing in your face. Not for nothing does the psalmist say, be still and know that I am God. God does not ordinarily compete for our attention. In silence, we come to attend. And so, I want to play for you, for just a moment, what most of our life feels like and what silence can do as it stills our soul. I, I will prepare you that what you're about to experience is not pleasant. Yay, welcome to Grace. All right, do we have it ready? All right, just close your eyes and experience this. Desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God, what do you want me to know? 
what do you want me to do? What you might not have noticed is that the psalm was reading through the majority of that track. That voice was speaking the whole time. You're just going to hear it underneath all that other noise. The practice that we encourage you to, to begin with, we encourage you definitely to, to, to learn from Alan's experience and to build in, if we can build up to 30 minutes of time. But we want to teach you an ancient practice. Uh, the, the Desert Fathers um, called it contemplative prayer. More recently, it's been uh, called centering prayer. And for me, it's been uh, one of the most transformational um, practices, rhythms in my life as a regular uh, way of waking up, but also of just getting still before God. And, and it's very simple. It is, uh, it's just a breathing of, of that reminder that Genesis 1 God, or 2, God breathed into man the breath of life. And so it's just receiving the presence of God in a breath. And so just breathing in deep and then breathing out. But it's so easy in silence, as Alan said, it's like our mind immediately gets, starts pinging around, getting distracted. And so what the, the early church fathers discovered is that if you hold on to what they called a prayer word, um, which can actually be a phrase, uh, but called a prayer word, um, it, it's something that you can keep coming back to. And so the most classic uh, prayer word is the Jesus prayer, and it's just simply this. Uh, it's, uh, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so as you pray, this centering prayer, you close your eyes, just be still, kind of come into your body in a sense of just let yourself sort of feel the chair under you or the wind, kind of hear the, the air conditioner or whatever it might be, just kind of just be present for a moment and then just breathe in deep. And as you breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and as you breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in deep. Fill that air. Fill your lungs. Lord Jesus Christ. Hold it. And breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And breathe in. Lord Jesus Christ. And breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then just carry that practice. And when your mind starts to move to the conversation you had yesterday or what you're going to do for the rest of the day, just bring your mind back to that centering prayer. And then from there, to just sit silent and still with God. And if you're able to do that for a couple minutes, praise the Lord. Just build it in as a practice with God. If you're able to continue and sit in silence, like... We talked about Alan for 30 minutes. Praise the Lord. But just begin where you are and just see if, if this intentional way of practicing the presence of God, if it builds into your soul these things we've been talking about. So that's the invitation. I want to pray for us as we close our time and just worshiping God together as a community invite you as we do each week into this weekly rhythm of, of communion, this reminder of the presence of God, that bread that Jesus took at the, at the Last Supper, the night he was betrayed, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of Passover, the cup of redemption, and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we take communion, it's actually a profession of faith, a receiving of the body and the blood of Jesus, his body that invites us to encounter the presence of God, his blood that forgives us of our sins and makes a way for us to be reconnected to our Lord and creator. And so as we take communion, we take it as a profession of our faith. And so we have the wine and the bread in the four corners of the room, if you're more comfortable or for your children, we also have the little packets of grape juice with the wafers uh, for you to take as a family if you prefer. And so I just want to pray for us as we enter into this time of worship and let God be speaking into our souls what he would have us to know.
Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are present. We thank you that you are powerful and you're good. And you are as real and available and present even here right now as the person sitting next to us. So, Lord, may we learn to live a life in awareness of that presence. Help us to build and to, to align into these rhythms of Jesus to create space to encounter you. Lord, will you give us the courage, like Elijah in the cave, to, to sit in our chaos and our confusion and our fear and our anger and our hurt, and to sit there long enough to let you attend to our souls. And to God, may you receive all the glory and all the praise forever and ever.